Merry Christmas, Christ Community Church. Hey, it's great to see you all and to uh, greet those of you who are watching in Bartlett and Blackberry Creek and DeKalb as well. We're going to be considering a story that you're familiar with, but looking for new truths that God brought you here uh, to speak to you. So would you pray with me? Let's, let's invite God to be our teacher. God, we're going to open your book, your holy book, and we're going to read the story of your son come to earth. It's a story we've heard every Christmas. And, and yet today we believe, God, that you want to speak to our hearts, open our ears, uh, take away the hardness, the resistance, God, to hearing the truth, uh, that you want to speak to us, shape us, mold us, make us the kind of people you want us to be. Uh, help us to walk away from here sensing that you've changed us because of our encounter with your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to call to mind uh, some big event from your past, okay, something that you put a lot of preparation into. You were getting ready for it for, for a long time. You were waiting for the big day to arrive. So uh, what, what comes to your mind when I say that, big event? You know, maybe it was getting your driver's license. Remember all the preparation you put into that? You went to the driver's ed classes and you memorized the rules of the road book. Your dad took you out to practice your driving because your mom wouldn't be in the car with you. Remember that? And then, and then finally the day came when you walked into the DMV, you took the test and you walked out, you had a license in hand. Remember that? Or, or remember uh, perhaps your graduation from high school or for college and all the preparation that went into that, all the hours that you studied, all the papers that you wrote and you never thought you'd be done with school, but the day finally came when you walked across a platform like this one, dressed in a cap and gown, reached out your hand, received a diploma, threw your arms up in the air, finally, I'm a graduate. Or, or maybe the big event that you call to mind something you put a lot of preparation into was your wedding. You bought flowers, you got fitted for a tux, you invited guests, you rented a reception hall. You know, I, I will never forget the wait leading up to my wedding. And then finally, standing at the front of the church and looking at the back double doors and watching them open and seeing my bride appear. It's like, finally, I, I never thought the day would come, but it's finally here. So what is the big event that comes to your mind. Maybe it's the birth of a baby, something you got ready for, a European vacation. Maybe you've been getting ready for the Cubs to be in the World Series. <laughs> uh, we've been preparing for that one for over a hundred years in Chicago. Well, th this is Christmas Eve. We are, are celebrating a ginormous event. A lot of preparing, a lot of waiting went into the original Christmas. Now, no human being was responsible for that preparation. God was. And when God, when God finally had everything in place, the wait was over. The big day had finally arrived. It was time. It was time. In fact, that's exactly how the Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. If you brought a Bible, I invite you to turn with me. In the New Testament, we're going to spend a few moments looking at just a couple of verses here. Galatians 4. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son. When the set time had fully come. Now, Paul wrote this New Testament letter of Galatians originally in Greek. 
And in the, the original Greek text, if we read it, it literally says when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time. The ancient Greeks used fullness to describe the filling up of a, of a cup until it was filled to the brim. In other words, there was nothing more you could get into it. Filled to the brim. God had been filling the cup of time. He had been getting things ready for the first Christmas. And finally, the cup was full. It was time. It was time for Jesus' arrival. It was Christmas time. Now, when I say God had been preparing for this this big event, what what had God been preparing? Well, uh, first of all, the world was now ready. The world was now ready. Let me give you a little bit of ancient history here. In the first century A.D., uh, Rome had finally conquered, subdued the entire then-known world. So up to that point in time, there had been wars breaking out here, there, and everywhere. And now it was a time of peace because Rome ruled. They called it the Pax Romana. So people, instead of focusing on fighting, they could concentrate on living. It was not only a time of peace, it was a time of great mobility. The Romans were famous for building roads. And then they would station soldiers on the roads to protect travelers. So it was a safer time than it had ever been. And people were getting out and about and meeting and greeting others. And then it was a time of increased communication. For for the first time, there was one universal language. Everybody spoke Greek. Greek spread across the empire. And now people could exchange ideas with other people. So there was peace, there was mobility, there was communication. I mean, if God had a message for all of humanity, this was the ideal time to send it. The world was now ready. As I was thinking about that, you know, the connecting uh, of, of people. I was working out one day this past week, and I saw in the magazine rack at the gym, a Time magazine front cover, Mark Zuckerberg. And it, it, it had a caption on it, something like uh, Mark Zuckerberg's crusade to put every single human being online. Now, if you don't know who he is, he's the founder of Facebook. And Facebook has just celebrated its 10th anniversary. It's one decade old. When Zuckerberg started it, he was 20 years old, a college student. He's only 30 years, years old now. And in 10 years' time, it's grown to 1.35 billion users. How many of you are on Facebook? All right, yeah, most of you. And they say that if everybody on Facebook represented a country, it would be the second most populous country in the world. But Zuckerberg is not content with 1.35 billion people. He wants every single person to be connected, all 7.2 billion human beings. And he's got a plan to pull it off. And so the article was all about you know, his recent trip to a remote village in the middle of nowhere, India, you know, road testing his plan. You know, the world is getting connected. Well, God sent his son to the planet Earth at the very time when the world was connected, thanks to the Romans, like it had never been connected before. Why did God choose this time? Because God didn't want anybody to miss his message. You know, I, I believe that you are here at Christ Community Church this Christmas Eve, whether you're in St. Charles or at Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, DeKalb. I believe that, that you're here because the God who orchestrates history doesn't want you to miss his message, doesn't want you to miss his son, Jesus Christ. 
Santa. The world was now ready that first Christmas, thanks to God's preparation. Uh, Secondly, spiritual seekers were now ready. And that's the second reason I believe Paul says in Galatians 4, verse 4, that the set time had fully come for God to send his son. The time had fully come. Seekers, spiritual seekers, were were now ready. You say, what do you mean spiritual seekers? Well, people who were genuinely interested in a relationship with God. Wouldn't that be like everybody? Well, no, not necessarily. Many people I know prefer not to have a relationship with God because they don't want the God of the universe looking over their shoulder. You know, they're kind of like Kevin in that first Home Alone movie. You guys all watch it, right, as part of your Christmas tradition like we do in, in our home. And Kevin wishes his family to be gone, and he wakes up, and they actually are gone. They left on a European vacation without him, mistakenly. But he thinks the reason they're gone is because he's wished them gone. And he looks into the camera, and he says with dismay, I made my family disappear. And then he gets a smile on his face, and he says it a second time, yeah, I made my family disappear. What is Kevin so happy about? No one around to tell him what to do. Kevin can now do exactly what he wants to do. See, people don't want a relationship with God because they don't want a sovereign God calling the shots in their lives. Maybe that's you. So no, not everybody is a spiritual seeker. Not everybody sincerely desires a relationship with God, but in the first century, there was a lot of spiritual seeking going on. The time was ripe. The time was ripe for God to send his son. Why were there so many spiritual seekers in the first century who might be interested in a relationship with Jesus? Two major reasons. First of all, the pagan religions of the day were losing their appeal. The pagan religions of the day were losing their appeal. Here's how one historian puts it. He says, the old mythological gods of Greece and Rome were losing their hold on the common people so that the hearts and minds of men everywhere were hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. People had had enough of their religions. They wanted something real and satisfying. When when I read that, I thought to myself, this is very much like today. I've read several surveys in the past year that suggest religion is on the decline in our country today. People are no longer going to church. You know, people want a spiritual experience, but they don't want to be Catholic or Methodist or Baptist or, or whatever. Denominational brand religion isn't scratching where people itch. So is it possible to have a relationship with God without having to jump through all those ritualistic religious hoops? Spiritual seekers wanted to know that in the first century. They still want to know it in the 21st century. You may want to know the answer to that question. Can I get God without getting religion in the process? You know, a lady walked into a welcome center at one of our campuses a couple of weeks ago, and she said, she said, you know, I have tried, and then she named the denomination that she had grown up in, which I won't repeat, but she said, I've tried that denomination I'm now ready to try Jesus. Maybe you feel that way. You know, I've I've tried religion. I'd really like to try a relationship with God. We'll come back to that later. Second major reason that there were lots of spiritual seekers in the first century was because Judaism's laws had created a sense of need. Let me explain. 
Paul writes this letter of Galatians to a mixed group of people. Some of the people had come from a pagan religion background, like I've just been describing, and they were tired of the old religion. They wanted something that satisfied. But he was also writing to a group of people that included folks from a Jewish background. They had grown up with the Old Testament laws. They had tried to live their lives according to God's rules. Scholars tell us that there are 365 do's and don'ts in the Old Testament. You said it, it would be impossible to obey all those. And Paul would respond, exactly, which is one of the major reasons God gave us all those laws, to demonstrate that we can't keep them. You say, huh? Yeah, God wants you to understand that you can't be moral enough, you can't be good enough, you can't be obedient enough to merit a relationship with a perfectly holy God. Why would God want to convince you of that? So you stop depending upon yourself, so you look for outside help, so you surrender to him. You know, one of the analogies that Paul uses in Galatians for the Old Testament laws, and it would have been understood with his first century audience. He said, you know, the Old Testament laws are kind of like the guardian, the, the tutor, if you, you would, that is hired by a wealthy landowner in ancient Rome. So there's a son in the house who one day will become the heir to the entire estate. But right now, he's not ready for that. So his dad hires a tutor. And the job of the tutor is to herd the son in the right direction so that one day he's ready to become a full-fledged son. Paul says God's laws are like that. What God wants from us is a relationship, a father-son, a father-daughter relationship. In the meantime, what he's going to do is head us in that direction. How does he do that? Well, his laws. How do his laws do that? Well, his laws convince us that we've got a need, we've got a problem. <laughs> Our problem is we're law breakers. Our problem is we're, we're by nature disobedient people. I mean, you, you see a sign that says wet cement, don't, don't, uh, wet, wet paint rather, don't touch. What do you want to do? Yeah, I know what you want to do. Unfortunately, the Bible says when it comes to God's commands, disobedience leads to death. The wages of sin is death, Scripture says. So if you want to disconnect from the giver of life, you want to do your own thing, go, go your own way, thumb your nose at Almighty God, the penalty is death. Spiritual death, physical death at the end of this life, and if this problem doesn't get fixed, eternal death in the world to come. See, once you wake up to the seriousness of your predicament, like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, then, then you're motivated to look for a solution. If you weren't a spiritual seeker before, you become a spiritual seeker. God says, okay, you ready? I've got a solution. And God's solution is his son. Let me read the rest of Galatians 4, verse 4 to you, and the following verse as well. Paul says, but when the set time had fully come, now listen, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So why did God send Jesus, according to these verses, to redeem people who were under the law? In other words, people who were condemned to eternal death because they'd habitually broken God's laws, which means every one of us. How did Jesus redeem such people? 
How does Jesus redeem you? How does he redeem me? Well, he died on a cross. He took the death our sins deserve. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus said, I'll take your death. He died in our place, and now he offers us, if we'll surrender our lives to him, he offers forgiveness. He offers new life that can stretch on into eternal life. He offers sonship, daughtership in God's family. Friends, Jesus is the only one who can redeem you. He's the only one who can do this. No, no other religion can do this for you. No generic spirituality can do this for you. What makes Jesus so unique? Two things. Paul says them both in the verses I just read to you. Number one, Jesus is qualified to redeem us because he's one of us. In verse 4, Paul says, God sent his son born of a woman. Now, he doesn't say born of the woman, meaning the Virgin Mary, because that's not his point here. His point here is that Jesus was born of a human mom. You know, Jesus became a human being, became one of us. Why is that so important? Because in order to serve as our representative, in order to die the death we deserve to die, in order to take our place on the cross, Jesus had to be one of us. But it doesn't end there. There's a second qualification. Jesus is fully God. The verse says that God sent his son. See, before Jesus existed at Bethlehem, he pre-existed as the eternal son of God. Why is that significant? Because if Jesus was just a mere human being, then his death on the cross would be of limited value. But if Jesus is the eternal Son of God, then his death on the cross would be of infinite worth. It would be a value stretching down through the ages all the way up to the 21st century, all the way to you if you're a spiritual seeker. If you truly want a relationship with God, if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ as your Savior, as your King, you ready for that? See, God sent Jesus when the time had fully come, when the world was now prepared, thanks to the Romans. Word could get out. When spiritual seekers were, were now prepared, some because they were sick and tired of their pagan religions and others because aware of God's law, that nailed them as sinners, they recognized their need of a Savior. And thirdly, God was doing his preparation work in that Mary and Joseph were now ready. And I want to move from the text we've been looking at in Galatians 4 to the very familiar Christmas text in Luke chapter 2. So if you brought a Bible, turn to Luke 2. Luke 2 begins by telling us that the Roman emperor, a dude named Caesar Augustus, had issued a decree. There was going to be a census. Everyone had to go to their hometown and register, which meant that Joseph, who was originally from Bethlehem, had to travel from Nazareth, where he was living, with his very pregnant, soon-to-be wife, Mary, to Bethlehem. Now, friends, this would have been an arduous trip. It was 80 miles between Nazareth and and, and Bethlehem, and the roads weren't, you know, it wasn't superhighway, it wasn't interstate. There weren't service plazas along the way. It, it would take a traveler four to seven days to make such a trip, and that's assuming that they're not eight plus, plus, plus months pregnant. Most likely, Mary rode a donkey. Now, the scripture doesn't say that she rode a donkey, but 
early tradition says that was probably the case because there's no way that a pregnant woman would have trekked that far. When I stop to think about it, I'm not sure a donkey was much improvement on walking. You know, years ago, my family and I hiked the Grand Canyon. We went down to the bottom one day, camped at the, the bottom, hiked back out the next day, and I remember seeing a group of people coming down on donkeys, and from afar, I thought to myself, now that's the way to do it. And then I got close, and I saw the pained expressions on their faces. <laughs> I'm not sure it was any advantage of Mary if she, for Mary if she did have a donkey. But God finally got Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, where he wanted them. Why, why was that so important? Well, because 700 years earlier, a prophet by the name of Micah had promised that one day God would send the world a Savior, and that Savior would be born in a village called Bethlehem. And the significance of Bethlehem is, is because Israel's most famous king, most illustrious king, was King David. This was his hometown. So Bethlehem was sort of a, a royal village, if you would. God was pointing to the fact that his Savior would be a king even greater than King David. So once Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, everything was ready for Jesus' arrival. It was Christmas time. Let me read the account to you, beginning at verse 4 of Luke chapter 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there... If you got your own Bible, you want to circle the next expression. The time came. The time. That's our word. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Time. Middle of verse 6. The time came for the baby to be born. See, God had put everything in place. God's preparation was now complete. The world was now ready. Spiritual seekers were now ready. Mary and Joseph were now ready. The question I want to ask you this Christmas Eve, and I ask it to, to those of you in St. Charles, in Bartlett, in Blackberry Creek, in, De, in DeKalb, are you ready? Just as God went to great lengths to get Mary and Joseph all the way to Bethlehem, God is still in the business today of getting people ready to be receptive to his son. You know, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you know, as I already said, I believe one of the reasons you're here is because God is getting you ready. And my guess is there have been other things going on in your life to get you ready as well. You know, maybe there has been some personal crisis. Nothing like a crisis to convince us that we're not masters of our own fate that we need outside help, that we need God, be it a health crisis or a financial crisis, a marriage crisis, whatever. Maybe God's been getting you ready. Or, or maybe God's been getting you ready because you've just taken a, a moral spill. You know, you've done something that was really stupid, really embarrassing, really shameful. Or you're entangled in something you, you just can't get yourself out of. You need a Savior. God's getting you ready. 
For, for some people I've run into, it's the opposite end of the, of the continuum. They got the world by the tail, but that's the problem. They look in the mirror and they say, if everything's so great, why do I feel so empty on the inside? It's because there's a Christ-sized vacuum that only Christ can fill. God's getting you ready. You know, some of you have heard me tell the story before of how my 93-year-old father-in-law, just a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, finally surrendered his life to Christ. But, but I've not told you much of the back story. You know, when, when my father-in-law was in his 30s, my, my mother-in-law was going through a very difficult pregnancy, and she turned her life over to Christ at that time, made her realize she needed God. She needed Christ to be central in her life. But from that point on, the more closely she followed Christ, the further away my father-in-law moved. You know, she shared Christ with Dad off and on, just as Sue and I did. But Dad was not interested. In fact, I could remember Christmas Eve services like this when they were visiting from Ohio, and my father would sit there, father-in-law would sit there with his arms across his chest and this disinterested look on his face. And then my mom mother-in-law got Alzheimer's and she couldn't drive herself to church and so dad would drive her to church drop her off drive back across town to home watch tv look at his watch go pick her up when the time for the service to end came but my father-in-law is a very frugal man and one day he calculated that this cost him a lot of gas money to go two trips so he decided he would just go and he'd sit there in the service with her and he began to listen he began to hear about Christ, but there was still a huge roadblock in his journey of faith. The, the roadblock was my father-in-law knew that if he surrendered his life to Christ, it would be an acknowledgement that his wife had been right all along about Jesus. <laughs> and so God took mom out of the way. Her Alzheimer's became worse and she was put in a nursing home. And all of us thought, well, that's the end of church for my dad, my father-in-law. He'll never go back. But he continued to go, and he listened. And now he was no longer thinking about what his wife might say if he made some sort of a decision. And the pastor of that church, much like what we do at Christ's community, would periodically extend an invitation. Surrender your life to Christ. And one day my dad said, it's time. You know, Sue and I look at her mom's Alzheimer's, and in one sense, we're so saddened by it, she's still in the nursing home. But in another sense, we say, this was God getting dad ready for the biggest decision of his life. God has been relentlessly getting you ready, if you've never surrendered to Christ, for a moment in time like today, like right now. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity to do what I've been talking about, to surrender to Christ. I'm going to ask you before we have a chance to sing Silent Night and hold candles in hand, would you just bow your heads with me across our four campuses? I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads together. You know, the best way to surrender to Christ is just tell him in your own words that's what you want to do. We call that prayer. And so let me pray a prayer, the sort of prayer that could begin a relationship with God for you today, like you've never known before. And, and for some of you, maybe you've prayed a prayer like this somewhere in the past, but you're sitting here today recognizing, but oh man, you've not been walking with Christ. This is a day to come back.
This is a day to re-surrender, if you would. And so pray something like this. Oh, Christ, I recognize that I'm a lawbreaker. I couldn't keep your commandments. In fact, this very week, I can look back and see areas in my life where things I, I thought and said and did had to be displeasing to you, a holy God. And I recognize that my sins deserve death because I've disconnected from the giver of life. Can you say that to God? Can you say it from your heart right now as you're bowed before him and mean it? I know I'm a lawbreaker. I know this means death. I know I've disconnected from you. But Jesus took my death, and I believe that. I affirm that today. I want to ask that the death he died would be for me. Just tell him that from your heart. And I want the new life that he gives, life where he sits on the throne of my life. Now, don't miss this part. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a royal city, because he is king. You, you can't surrender to Jesus as savior for forgiveness and not relinquish control of your life to him as king. Would you do that right now? Would you tell him, I want to get off the throne of my life? I've been screwing it up anyway. I want Jesus to be my king. Now, if you, if you want Jesus to be Savior and King of your life, and you just pray that prayer from your heart, something has happened inside of you that you can't see. God has begun a change. But around Christ Community Church, we like to ask people to do something physical because that spiritual decision can't be seen. We don't want you thinking 24 hours from now, I don't know if I made that decision or not. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. While you're bowed before God, if you just surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to put your hand up in the air and then back on your lap. Okay, just a simple move. Hand in the air and then back on your lap. I want you to do it here in St. Charles, up in the balcony on the main floor, in Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, DeKalb. If today is your time, if God's been getting you ready for a moment like this, if you say, yep, I want to surrender to Christ, put your hand in the air and then back down on your lap. Would you do it? Okay. Are there more? Give you just one more moment all across four campuses. Just put your hand up. Again, there's no magic in the hand. It's just your way of saying, no, I really mean it. Lord God, I pray that there would be many who in their hearts come to Christ at this moment because you've prepared them for such, that they would not say no to you again, that they would say yes today. And I want to pray for those who look back and say, you know, I think I made a decision like this some years ago, but I've not lived it, that this would be an amnesty Christmas Eve when they come back, when they come back to you and say, I'm all in. I want Christ central to my life. I pray this in Jesus' name.